Brent Kermelitic and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine. Now our guest today is Troy Creighton, Managing Director of Stormtech Grates and Drains. With some 31 years of working in the building uh, materials industry, Stormtech is an Australian family business originally started by John Creighton, um, Troy's father, that is, in 1989. In 2004, uh, Stormtech won a design mark at the Australian Design Awards for their drainage design, for their drainage design rather. And since 2006, Stormtech has been a member of the Standards Australia Committee and has been involved in the writing of the code uh, covering linear drainage in bathrooms and other plumbing products. So welcome, Troy Creighton, and thank you for taking the time out of your really busy schedule today to have chat with us here at Talking Architecture and Design. Hi, Branko. Thanks for having me along. Okay, so just to get you know the, the, the obvious out of the way, how is uh, StormTech going with the pandemic and lockdown and, of course, you know the, the ensuing economic slowdown? Uh, we've been faring the storm very well. Um, there have been obviously stresses in the business and those stresses have been all about safety and family and uh, protecting those most vulnerable. Uh, we acted very early. Um, at the time, I will admit, I felt it was something of an overreaction. Um, but also at the time, there was no plans, there was no guidance or anything. So this is back in February. Uh, so I thought, well, I'd rather have a plan, might not be the best plan, but I'll enact a plan uh, so that we've got something to work from. And it, it really turned out to be um, excellent for, you know, reducing anxiety of, of the staff, um, identifying those staff that were actually at risk and obviously members of family that were in close contact with that uh, potentially at risk. On the business side, um, even before we enacted the personal safety and aspect, we secured our supply chain. Um, we're not exposed uh, to any of the normal supply chains that were impacting the rest of Australia. Um, we're fairly unique in that we try and buy, we're Australian made, Australian owned, of course, and we try and buy in Australia where we can to secure our supply chain. Pretty much the only exposure we had um, was from stainless steels, no longer manufactured in Australia, so we have to source that offshore. And with no experience in stainless steel, we do not um, source stainless from China. Uh, we have why? Why is that interesting? Why is that? Why not? Why don't you get stainless from China? Um, now it's not so much of an issue, um, but in days gone by, there was uh, the steel supply from China was rife with counterfeit heat certificates. Um, inconsistent grades and qualities and it was given the quality of product we make there's absolutely no benefit for trying to save a few dollars on uh, your per kilo rate in stainless and the fact is most stainless given the nickel chrome molybdenum um, are elements that are uh, commodities on the London Metal Exchange and so the per kilo rate of stainless globally is about the same Okay, so, and this is for the drains that you make. So, um, look, out, out of interest, um, 
are they mainly domestic uh, or, or, or commercial? And and how many different types of drones are we talking about? And and um, you know, excuse the ignorance, but um, drone design is is an important thing. Yes. Drain design we didn't think was important. It was important to us. Um, when Dad started the business, uh, he was actually a concreter in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and the drains evolved from his personal desire to put a better looking drain um, in his beautiful concrete jobs than the ones that were available at the time, which are your typical cast iron or hot dip galvanised ladder grates. Um, talking more about driveway crossovers and so on. And we didn't realise that Dad's passion for a uh, <laughs> a neater finish product um, for his own work would it morph into a specialised drainage business. It certainly has turned out to be quite important, um, solving the functional problems um, more ended up solving design problems we were never aware of, and obviously working close, more and more closely with architects and designers, um, we've honed our trade to develop products that not only are functional, but also fit the uh, aesthetic role that they play. Um, that's actually interesting. So there's a, now you're obviously aware we run the Sustainability Awards. Um, yeah. I think we've been running them now for, I think this is year 14 from memory. Um, and when it comes to drains, there is a huge sustainability angle, isn't there, in, in terms of drain design. Um, can you actually expand on that? Okay. On the sustainability of drains, the just about all drains have one inherent... If we're talking about stormwater drains, mm-hmm. uh, just about all stormwater drains have one inherent ability, and that's as a gross pollutant trap. And by that, I mean that they're able to, given the aperture of the opening of the grating, you can control at the surface what debris gets into your stormwater system. When we're talking about, uh, so that's a a direct sustainability impact. When we're talking about interior drains, the uh, grating in, say, your shower channels and so on, can play a critical role in reducing the amount of hair and other debris that gets into your sanitary service and how that sanitary uh, the, um, sewer water is then processed. So for example, uh, I live on acres in the country. I do not have a town sewer system at all gets treated and processed on site in a biocycle system. We cannot use any of the chemicals that you would normally use to clear the drain with. So having a strainer grate at the top stopping just about all the hair is critically important for the uh, function and amenity of my own property, but obviously that morphs on to others. The sustainability side of our drains is really quite funny. We were um, operating more or less hand to mouth when we were trying to get um, storm tech off the ground. So as a, we had choices of do we eat or do we pay rent? So obviously rent came first. Um, that's why I <laughs> managed to maintain my smelts. There you go. But, <laughs> but um, that basically forced us to be as frugal as possible by necessity. This wasn't a sustainability path that we chose ahead of all else. It was sustainability by necessity. So sustainability is in the materials, well, stainless steel, uh, despite the high energy input, 
um, used in the manufacture of the stainless steel raw sheet and profiles and tube and so on. Um, it's an incredibly durable product. Um, it will last for hundreds, if not thousands of years. PVC, on the other hand, is, is something of a problem child. Um, PVC recycling um, can be done. There are limited PVC dedicated specific recycling facilities in Australia. So we had a long, we chose PVC not because of any environmental reason. We chose PVC for our channel and fittings because it's durable. Um, as an engineering material, you can create unequal profiles. Currently, the more sustainable um, polymers like your HDPE and so on are not suited to making an unequal profile like our channels um, because they cannot achieve the tolerance we need for them to be able to accept the fitting, so a connection end, a stop end, an outlet, etc. So we were pretty much forced to use PVC. So to that end, when sustainability became more of an issue, uh, we looked at our supply chain and we decided to use virgin unplasticized PVC, virgin UPVC. That's at the top of the tree of recycling for PVC. We also are certified by Global Green Tag and by the Vinyl Council of Australia um, to ensure that our supply chain uses the world's best practice PVC. Um, the next big hurdle for PVC that has not been resolved yet is the titanium oxide UV stabiliser, which is the best way to stabilise PVC. It's not an issue once it's bound into the material, it will cause no issues, but when it's in its powder form before it's mixed with the PVC compound, it is carcinogenic and that's an issue for the PVC compounders, which is why we go with the best practice PVC because that in itself means that they're ensuring the health and the safety of their workers and the family and the environment around them. So that, that's actually a pigment that's not, not common in paints, isn't it? It's ubiquitous. It's in just about everything that you, if you look on your desk right now, I'd say probably 80% of all materials that are manufactured on your desk would contain titanium oxide. Okay. Okay, so that's the the functionality a bit. Um, what about the aesthetics? I mean, I mean, drains aren't exactly you know it's not exactly um, you know a, a, a Michelangelo design, but I mean, I'm sure there are there are designs coming out there that or available even that that may challenge the common perception. Is there something that is on the market like that? Yeah, the uh, designs that we've enacted over the years. Um, the more, you know, focusing on, okay, we know the drain works, how do we, and we know it does its straining requirements, so the function is signed off. The design aspect of drains actually goes back more than you might think. Um, we would all have seen over the years many heritage buildings and historical buildings that have drains, so the Romans were quite fun of uh, cutting slots in the marble um, and the floor surfaces in their uh, steam bars and their, um, their spars um, to allow drainage to come through and water to come up into a pool and go back down. So that we're actually interested uh, in the aesthetic to, to reduce the impact of the drain. 
Um, another one would be in um, Barcelona, um, if you go to the Gaudi, uh, some of the Gaudi houses, he designed the drains on his roof decks himself, and they were cast out of bronze, and they're beautiful. Uh, okay. And so I think over the years, the design of drains has come to the fore and then been left behind and then come forward again. So you mentioned something earlier that, that was uh, that's extremely interesting and also quite topical at the moment. So everyone's talking about manufacturing in Australia. Apparently, the Australian government's uh, discovered that, the, that we used to have a manufacturing industry. Um, you mentioned a very interesting point that you do manufacture here, but and there's also an issue of supply chains. You know, you know, it's all very nice saying I, I can I can set up my lovely lovely factory out in the western suburbs of Sydney or in you know in, in western suburbs of Melbourne, but um, what about my supply chain of my raw materials of my additives or you know and let's not even talk about skilled staff. Is that the biggest problem to manufacturing in Australia in in your experience? Uh, for me, no, um, but for others, absolutely. Um, I've always been fairly conservative uh, about my supply chain and fairly diligent about the uh, suppliers in my supply chain. I think uh, what has done Australia in is uh, a bottom line focus, just this absolute bloody minded focus on the bottom line. Let's get an extra tenth of a percent out of this supply chain. Let's do whatever it takes to save a bit of money instead of investing in your supply chain and securing your supply chain. So a good example of that would be, um, and you can look it up at the moment, before the pandemic, uh, Australian defence were really focusing on maintaining an industry capability to support defence just in case one day we might need it. So no single point uh, risk value point areas. So really they're literally out there investing in small, medium and large businesses to try and help them maintain the capability that they need to maintain the capability to defend the country. So this sounds very extreme, I realise. But lo and behold, February, March comes along and all of a sudden, whammo, I'm getting phone calls from suppliers, uh, customers, I mean. Uh, their incumbent supplier is no longer able to uh, supply for, you know, three, six months. Uh, can we supply them? And that's a reflection of where Australian manufacturing has gone. There's some good news on the horizon, though. I'm not the only... Australian manufacturer that's going down the advanced manufacturer, the industry 4.0, uh, taking ownership of my IP, reinventing production systems, inventing new manufacturing methods. There are many others like me in Australia. And surprisingly, most of us do look at secure supply chain and reducing a single source risk. Mm, interesting. So, 
can I say that um, with the, I mean, your the product that you make. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It, it would be a lot cheaper to make it in China, would it not? Yet you still choose to make the drains here. I guess that in a way um, is a lesson to the building industry uh, or the building um, materials and products industry. Do you think that um, would you would you recommend that building a, a materials maker should follow your example? I think many are already. I expect um, the uptick in business from uh, importers, commodity, cheap importers. Uh, I expect that uptick will um, remain to a probably a lesser degree than it is now because one, after the pandemic, just about everyone's going to forget about it and go back to business as usual and keep chasing the holy grail bottom line. But I've been having some fairly high level discussions with um, some rather large building products uh, distributors and they are taking it a little bit more seriously now. They realise they can't just depend on a single cheap manufacturer source uh, that they do need to have an eye on quality. So where did quality come into this question? Well, quality came into this question well before the pandemic and we saw a shift in the building industry uh, away from the cheapest possible product to more certified and qualified products, which are often Australian made. The good examples would be cracking buildings, um, flammable facades, um, delamination of materials in wet areas and so on. Um, my little obsession obviously being the drain guy. And I think we saw an uptick in uh, business because a lot of people were reverting to quality and known and confirmed and certified quality not just window dressing on the quality. Are we in a, in a, in a situation where drains are becoming a lot more compl- complex and, um, dare I say, a, will we ever see a smart drain? Excuse the um, you know, inverted commas. Uh, the plans are already in place. So if you're talking a smart drain, uh, think about one uh, that will uh, remove blockages itself that will tell you when it needs a clean that will tell you when something's wrong um, no it can't clean itself to a degree but maybe it can um, we do have innovations that we've already done for the medical industry like uh, antimicrobial uh, we've been doing that for years um, which is a copper copper alloy uh, antimicrobial solution um, there are also additives you can put into the pvcs and so on to make them antimicrobial so yeah, there are smart drains out there, even ones that will, well, there are plans on the drawing board um, and you can see the temperature of the water as well. Plus we've also on the sustainability side, we've partnered with Zippo, uh, Portuguese business that does the uh, waste uh, heat recovery from your shower wastewater. So yeah, there are smart drains coming out. Who, th- who ever thought drains could be so um, exciting? D- dare I say, <laughs> Dare I say, uh, Troy, thank, thank you for those great insights. Excuse the pun. Thank you very much for your time. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Brank Homolytic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The 
A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au.